today on Ag News Daily. Uh, but we've been dealing with a regulatory drought uh, price since the early 90s. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Today is Wednesday, June 14th. I am one of the hosts for the Ag News Daily podcast, along with my co-host, Mike Pearson. Mike, Seriously, you are the only person I know whose cows get out almost every single day. I know. It, you know what? I went through, so when we first bought our farm in 2012, when we first moved out here, they got out, literally, it was every day. And my neighbors are true saints, and they helped me get them back in. So then we spent a pile of money and time on new fencing all the way around our pasture. I got these new feed bunks, bunks put in with pipe fence. I've got five foot or eight foot tall temporary standalone fence panels that weigh like 600 pounds a piece. I have invested a pile in keeping my cows in where they need to be. Well, obviously it's not working it out for you. It is not working because I have some cows that are getting a little, they're getting a little wiser. I've got a couple that are 14, 15 this year, and they've been around the block a few times. And these old cows have figured out that if they just walk around the fences slowly, they can identify weak spots and this morning what one of them had found is that one gate one gate that i have that i have not replaced yet because the cows have never put any pressure on it it's way out of the way for them there's nothing attractive on the other side for them to go eat so it's like yeah it's fine it's worked for five years this morning this old cow and it's the same one that causes all of my problems number 17 she found that if she put her nose under it she could lift it off the post and it would kind of bridge up with the chain, you know, locking one side. And it would bridge up enough that she could sneak under it. And once one gets out, man, the rest of them all go out. So I had them out this morning. Then I got them all back in. And I put some additional fence posts in. And I, I chained that gate down. And my plan this afternoon is to go and buy a new gate at the farm store. And took my dog in to the groomer to get him all trimmed up. Because he needs to look fancy for summer. And I come <laughs> back home. And I'm thinking, all right, we'll, we'll do the podcast. I get to be on Market Rally with, with Ted later today. It's going to be a great, great afternoon. I pull into my driveway, and I see six of my cows out into the yard. And I tell you, <laughs> the words I said, would they would make us lose our clean rating on iTunes instantaneously. Oh, I imagine. But I am thankful. They're all back in. I've blocked them into one pasture now that the fences are, are sturdy enough for a little while. And, uh, yeah, I tell you, I, I'm thankful that I bought a four-wheeler last year because it is too hot to be out there running around after cows. No, you need a little exercise. No, I don't. I, you know, I figure <laughs> the future is going to be here. We're just going to be rolling around in, in pods on wheels or hoverboards or something. I don't need any exercise. Oh, my gosh. Speaking of rounding up cattle, the other night we had a have some family come in from California. It was my great uncle, so my grandpa's brother, and we were talking about how my grandpa got a, I don't know what year Porsche it was. My uncle shipped him a Porsche from California. He had it redone, painted like a pristine white, and my aunt was saying that she remembers like within a week or two of receiving the Porsche, uh, my grandpa had battered it up because he took it into the pasture and rounded up the cows with it. <laughs> my uncle was, yeah, like, my uncle was like, that was not an appropriate car for your grandfather. I do not know why I sent him that car. Wow. Like, that was such a waste. 
Well, you know, from Ruined your the grandpa's Porsche. perspective, that car cost him less than the farm truck. So that's the one you're going to use in the pasture. Oh, wow. my gosh. I guess the, you're kind of burying the lead there, Delaney. What does your great uncle do that he can just mail Porsches <laughs> around to people? And, and how do I get in on it? <laughs> he was a lawyer. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Must have been yeah, a good he one. said uh, he said it was like a he had a client that was like a meth addict, and that was all he could pay him with was his Porsche. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh! Yep, fantastic. Well, now that mm-hmm. is that is a good bit of storytelling here to start the Ag News Daily podcast, Delaney. <laughs> but I suppose since we are Ag News, we got to take a turn and look at some of the news in the world of agriculture. What's jumping out at you today? What do we need to be aware of? Well, I've still been following the story about Secretary Purdue's first appearance before the Senate Agricultural Appropriations Subcommittee. He again announced Monday that Ann Hazlitt would be the assistant to the Secretary for Rural Development because he is eliminating that position for Undersecretary for Rural Development. And so a lot of members of the Appropriations Subcommittee were not happy, including Jeff Merkley and Debbie Stabenow. Merkley kind of attacked Senator Perdue during his um, during his appropriations hearing and said that it basically asked him why Secretary Perdue released the name before the public commenting period was over, which we talked about yesterday. And Perdue responded saying that the USDA had only 30 days to name the rural development assistant after announcing the organization of the structure. So. That was his reasoning why he announced it on Monday. He also said he hadn't really received a lot of public commenting uh, or public comments during that period. But then on Tuesday, he received about 600 letters opposing what they were calling a downgrading of rural development. So, you know, he was trying to defend what was going on. And then later on in his hearing, he said, basically, he said, you know, if this doesn't work out within a year or two, once the new farm bill comes, we'll put together some nomenclature. You guys can reinstate the undersecretary for rural development. But Secretary Purdue really believes that this is the right step to take. And he's willing to risk all of that because he thinks it's going to make it better. OK. All right. So that at least answers the question. What happens when that public commenting period is over? And yes. Again, it's it's basically just a punt until the farm bill is what it sounds like. If there's issues, right. that, that's where they... If there's they issues, fix. that's... Yep. Okay. Well, coming out of Washington, D.C., we've got some policy news today. We've got some long-awaited, but, uh, you know, still the market has responded. The Federal Reserve today announced that they are increasing interest rates another quarter of a point. So now the range is between 1% and one and a quarter percent which, remember, just two years ago, we were at between zero and... Uh, uh, one quarter of a percent. So we're now a full percentage point higher than we were two years ago. The Fed cited the steady growth of the economy, and they in particular looked at the labor market as that unemployment rate continues to come down. And they also cited inflation. But here recently, inflation has started to back off a little bit, and a lot of traders are questioning if this might be the last rate hike we see for this year unless data begins to uh, accelerate. 
Another thing they announced today was their plan for what to do with all of the securities that the Federal Reserve purchased during the Depression, during the periods of quantitative easing. And, uh, you know, they've got, they've got trillions in, in, these, uh, in these assets that they've purchased. And their plan is to sell off $6 billion per month of Treasury bonds and $4 billion per month in agency debt and mortgage-backed securities. And then every three months... They're going to increase that cap by $6 billion um, as the year goes on until they are out of assets or get their balance sheet back down to where they want. So we did see a pretty strong response from the dollar. It had earlier this morning traded to a fresh seven-month low. Uh, since the Fed announcement here at uh, 1230 Central Time, it has rebounded quite a bit, picked up almost all of the day's losses, and now we're hovering the dollar index. It's right around 96.941 which is up from 96.323, which was the day's low. So there we go, Delaney. Rates are climbing. All right, good. That sounds good. In other news, internationally, Japan has announced that it's going to have record imports for non-fat dry milk. It um, expects to import 21,000 metric tons of that non-fat dry milk through March of 2018. So that's good news for the dairy industry. They said a lot of that reasoning is due to the hot, humid temperatures, a series of typhoons that apparently have significantly impacted their milk region. Hmm. Interesting. So, so that's yeah. it. We're going to be shipping more. That was powdered milk. Is that right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, good. Hey, anything leaving our borders is good news. Yeah. You know, as long as we're looking, as long as we've cast our gaze over to Asia, uh, we were talking earlier this week about China beginning to make some U.S. beef purchases. They've got that deal ironed out. And today there was some economic data that came out of China. And it showed that in the month of May, China's economy was on solid footing. But China's doing a little bit of what we're doing with the Federal Reserve and their central bank. They're starting to tighten monetary policy. They're starting to look at raising interest rates. Um, they've really discontinued their QE program. And in response, their housing market is starting to slow down and investment in business is starting to slow down. And now we've got some concerns that we could see China's economy start to slow. Uh, they still predict, the Chinese government still predicts to hit 6.5% uh, economic growth. But much beyond that uh, kind of remains to be seen. And with China's government numbers, you can never know. Exactly what's accurate is that six and a half, mm -hmm. five and a half, is it four and a half, is it seven point two? Nobody really knows, but uh, they are a little concerned that uh, Chinese China's economy could start to slow down. Well, I have other news coming out of China. Dow AgroSciences announced today that Enlist corn is approved in China for the 2018 season. Again, just to remind our listeners, Enlist corn was containing 2,4-D and glyphosate. So that's good news for farmers. That's right. Two modes of action. And now we mm -hmm. won't be penalized if we plant it and then sell it in a shipment that goes over to China, which is that's right. always good news because, uh, you know, that Syngenta lawsuit going to trial is a reminder right. of what can happen when, uh, when we do that. So, Delaney, do you have any other news that we need to be aware of today? I think that's all I had for today. 
Perfect. That's all I got. Uh, one other kind of interesting piece of news. The Dow Jones Industrial Average set a new record today, a new record close, up eight points after yesterday's record close. That gives us another new record. So... Good news if you own a lot of stocks and bonds. As we Mm -hmm. take a look at the ag markets, Delaney, the picture isn't quite as bright. No, it's not. Looking at the corn market, July corn dropped four and a quarter cents to finish the day at 3.76 and three quarters. December corn lost three and a half to close at 3.95 and a half. This after corn was up. Corn and beans were up most of the day. They ended up really giving it away at the close. July beans dropped three quarters of a cent to close at 9.31 and three quarters. November beans, new crop, unchanged on the day, closed at 9.39 even. Chicago wheat Spent the day, uh, lost two cents to finish at 4.43 even. December, Chicago wheat dropped one and three quarter cents to close at 4.79 even. Looking over in the world of livestock, typically when we see the Dow Jones climbing to record highs, that means consumers feel richer. They're going to go out to fancy restaurants. They're going to fire up their grills. They're going to eat a lot of beef. And we see strength in the beef market. But today, June, live cattle. Delaney, do you want to say what happened? Not really. Limit down. June live cattle. <laughs> August live cattle the same. Down the $3 limit. June closed at 124.50. August at 117.87 and a half. In feeder cattle, not much better. August feeders dropped $3.82.5 to close at 146.12.5. September feeders dropped 4 bucks to finish the day at 145.70. You know, Delaney, I'm thinking after the cows were out this morning, I should have just let them go. Clearly, this you market you know, just wants to go to zero. Anyhow, Mm -hmm. jumping down, one of the few bright spots on the screen is lean hogs. July lean hogs climbed 30 cents today to finish at 82.57.5. August lean hogs up 17.5 to close at 80.40. In the milk market, June class 3 milk was unchanged at 16.31. The July contract was down 7 cents to finish the day at 16.60. Now, Delaney, we just kind of ran through a whole gamut of commodities, but we didn't talk about the ones that we're going to be talking about on the program today, did we? No, I don't think that any of the commodities that we're talking about today are traded. That's right. So what are we talking about and who are we talking to? We are talking to a Californian farmer, Daniel Bays. He is a third generation farmer there in California, and his family grows almonds or almonds for people in California. Apricots. explain the difference. Yeah, he does. Apricots. Walnuts, lima beans, tomatoes. I think I'm getting all of them, but I will just let Daniel explain the rest of his operation. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are moving to the West now. We have Daniel Bays, who is from Wesley, California, near Modesto, California. He is a specialty crop farmer out there. Daniel, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your operations out there in California? Okay, well, I farm with my father and grandfather. Uh, we're on the west side of the San Joaquin Valley, um, kind of right in the middle of the state. Uh, we're about 90 miles east of San Francisco and 90 miles south of Sacramento. Um, and we grow uh, tree crops and row crops. So the tree crops are apricots, almonds, walnuts, and the row crops are uh, dry lima beans, uh, baby limas, and large limas both. Uh, processing tomatoes, uh, and we do grow uh, melons sometimes and uh, silage corn or winter wheat as well. Now, so that's kind of the crops that we grow. Now, Daniel, you just said apricots and almonds. 
And now when I've talked to a few folks from California that are in the, the, the nut business, they call them almonds. What's the, what's the deal? <laughs> well, I, it's, it's kind of a regional thing depending on where in the state you are, um, whether you call them almonds or almonds. Uh, I, I grew up calling them almonds and the, the saying or the, the joke that goes along with that is they're almonds on the tree and you shake the L out of them when you harvest them and you get almonds um, because we use a, a tree shaker to shake the nuts off the tree. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's well, our, glad to know where it our comes local from. thing. Shake so, the L out yeah. of them. Yeah. That's right. So you're near the San Joaquin Valley, which is a really high area of drought. The the crops that you grow, uh, you know, specifically almonds or almonds and apricots, are those affected by the drought? Yeah, uh, very much so. So we've we've been dealing with an, an environmental drought for the past few years, and that ended this winter um, when we had above above average rainfall and snowpack. Um, which has helped out the situation. Uh, but we've been dealing with a regulatory drought uh, probably since the early 90s um, where a lot of environmental groups and uh, government agencies have gotten involved and limited uh, our access to surface water, which is water that's uh, usually snow melt up in the mountains, uh, held back in reservoirs, and then released in the summertime in the rivers and canals for us to use for irrigation water so that we don't have to pump uh, as much groundwater from our wells. Uh, now, now, let's talk Cal about this a little bit because that's something that a lot of us here in the Midwest haven't had to deal with yet is the, the regulatory drought issue. When, when the water is being released today, is there less water coming out so they're, they're prioritizing it for urban areas or is it the same amount they're just redirecting the use? Um, a lot of it's the same amount they're redirecting the use. Um, urban areas have, have required a little more water, um, but I mean, a, a big problem that we have is California hasn't had any major water infrastructure improvements or projects built since the early 70s. Um, and our state population is more than doubled in that time. Uh, and <clears throat> there's been a cultural shift as well. Uh, in politics and uh, how people vote, what they prioritize. And the system that we have was built for uh, urban and agricultural use, and we've thrown in environmental use in there as well in the past 30 years. Well, what does um, that mean? What's an a, environmental a, use? Um, wetlands rehabilitations uh, for waterfowl in the winter times. So for uh, we have the Pacific Flyway where a lot of ducks and geese. Um, fly through California on their way from uh, the Pacific Northwest, Washington, Canada, uh, down to Mexico and Central America in the wintertime. Um, and so there's more water required for that uh, for a lot of our uh, fisheries on the Pacific coast, so salmon, um, trout, uh, and other fish species. Um, there's been a decline in those, and it, you could attribute it to multiple factors. Some of it's pollution in the river. Some of it's a decrease in water flow. Some of it's just um, a change in weather patterns and, and management of our, our fisheries, both by the 
the fishermen and um, how things are managed as well. And so there's there's been a lot more water that's been held back or released or dedicated towards um, fish habitat rehabilitation, bird habitat rehabilitation, uh, which I think is a they're important things to have. But going back to we haven't built the storage and the infrastructure um, to add that use into what we into the water that we have. If we could say it's developed, but hold back in reservoirs for releases in the in the summertime and fall. Right. So essentially, um, they're right. taking more of the water that that urban folks and agriculture would have used, and they're releasing it down the rivers to accommodate fish and and ducks and so forth. And then it just goes into the ocean. Correct. Okay. Correct. And mm-hmm. we're a California is a some people say a, a desert climate, which is incorrect. There are deserts in California, but it's a uh, a better description is it's a Mediterranean climate. So we have wet, cold winters and warm, dry summers, mm-hmm. um, which is why we're able to grow so many different crops here. Uh, but we need irrigation water for that. And that's supplied by the, the snow melt that falls in the mountains in the wintertime. We hold that back in reservoirs as it melts off and use that for our irrigation water. So a lot of the rivers that would be small creeks or may even dry up um, in the summertime or in drought years, because we have those reservoirs, we're able to keep water flowing through there and use that water for um, growing food or uh, wildlife habitat or um, a lot of different uses, hum- human uses in urban areas, um, and kind of manage that resource a little more. So you, you did mention there you grow a lot of different crops in California, so I kind of want to take it back to that Tell me the process of growing apricots or almonds or lima beans. I mean, obviously, you mentioned almonds grow on trees to shake the L out, and then they become almonds. But what is that like? So the the tree crops uh, for us, the, the apricots, the almonds, the walnuts, those are all long-term investments. Um, mm-hmm. When you plant a tree, we figure a, a life of 25 to 30 years for wow. that tree. For wow. that orchard, um, and it usually takes four or five years before you'll get your first crop off of it. Um, the the apricots we're in the middle of harvest right now. Uh, we still harvest most of those um, by hand, so uh, we're harvesting about 500 acres of apricots for the next three weeks, and we have probably close to 350 people out there um, six days a week picking that fruit. Uh, so labor is a huge issue with with the apricots. Um, the almonds and walnuts are a lot more mechanized. Uh, we use, they'll be ready to harvest in August through uh, October. And we use a, a tree shaker for those. It shakes the tree. The nuts fall on the ground. Uh, we have a sweeper that comes through and kind of pushes all the nuts into a windrow. And then there's a pickup machine, which is like a large vacuum cleaner that comes through the field picks those nuts up, kind of does a rough cleaning of it, um, and then we'll haul those to a hauler where they're further processed um, after that. So. so a lot of that is being done by hand. So do you see, do you use a lot of migrant workers or is it a lot of Californians? Um, it's a lot of, for us, it's a lot of migrant labor um, that, uh, 
Mexicans that come out of Mexico. Uh, mm-hmm. There's uh, most of the crews we have are. Um, I say regular, you'll see the same people back year after year. Um, I, we have picking crews out there that uh, I've seen the same family members out picking fruit um, and working for that labor contractor for at least 20 years. Um, so there's, and a lot of the people, they, they're from Mexico, but uh, a lot of them are uh, citizens here or have uh, temporary residency in the United States. Um, but there's not as much. The labor force used to, there was a lot more travel back and forth between Mexico and here. And just because of the difficulty with our immigration system, um, we don't have nearly as many people that go back to Mexico in the winter each year mm-hmm. and then come back here in the summer just because it's tough to get their paperwork through and get back and forth across right, the border. I was going to ask about that. Are you concerned about what would happen if the regulations change for the H-2A visa? Will that affect your labor force? Um, changes to the H-2A program probably wouldn't affect us too much. Uh, okay. There's not many people in this area that use the H-2A program. Um, it's just the the regulations, the burdens with it, um, it's just large and, and clunky and doesn't mm-hmm. work for our area. Okay. Um, and I think part of that is just because we're, <clears throat> we're close enough to Mexico that it's easier for people to come back and forth um, across the border and, and live here or make their lives here in California. Um, I know I have relatives up in Oregon and they, they use the H2A program a lot more up there, but down around us, it just doesn't seem to, to work well um so it uh we yeah we 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 need something that that works i don't think that the h2a program is the is the answer but um good luck having the (laughs) the government figure something out (laughs) right that works for everyone yeah yeah now, one of the things that, that uh, a lot of folks are concerned about in the world of agriculture is the fact that prices for corn and beans and wheat and less so cattle and hogs, but at least the row crops, they're near break even for a lot of growers here in the Midwest. With you and specialty crops, how is the market shaping up for for your operation? So we're in, we're in a similar predicament Um the saying around here, a little farther south of us, they grow a lot of cotton, and, and they always say as as cotton prices go, so goes everything else from tomatoes to lima beans to melons. Um, and, and corn impacts that a lot, too, um, for us. And so as your commodity prices drop and hit that break-even point or even go below that, um, tomato prices, bean prices, everything else kind of, follows that with the the supply and demand if there's something that is doing if you can grow lima beans for more money than than corn everyone that was growing corn switches over to lima beans in our area and you can Mm -hmm. flood markets pretty quickly with that so uh, a lot of our prices are depressed the specialty crops it helps a little bit having a specialty crop um, especially permanent crops like apricots or almonds just because you can't jump in and out from year to year quite as easily. Um, there's a little more long-term 
planning and even uh, the different markers and processors are able to to plan ahead and try and market crops farther out. Um, a benefit we do have is being on the Pacific coast. We have multiple ports, and so it is a little cheaper for us to, to ship stuff overseas, But um, which, which was a great benefit in the past few years. However, with the, the strengthening dollar, which has been a big impact on, on corn prices and grain, that hits us with everything else, too. Um, you know, the, the dollar strengthens in the U.S., and all of a sudden, um, you know, China or India isn't interested in buying apricots from us because they're too high priced. They can buy them from Turkey or South America uh, at, a, at a cheaper price, so they go elsewhere. Um, Daniel, who do you who do you market most of your crops to? Does it stay domestic, or do you ship them and export them to other countries? Um, it's a it's a pretty good mix of, of domestic and exported both. So uh, our apricots. Um, we sell uh, to a lot of processors, so uh, Smucker's Jam, uh, Gerber Baby Food, uh, mm-hmm. Del Monte, um, most of the canned fruit that you'd see in the grocery store under their private labels. I, I would guess probably close to half of what we produce um, or a little more, maybe two-thirds right now, mm-hmm. um, stays domestic. Uh, there's a lot of it that gets exported over to Japan um, and uh, other foreign markets. Um, and a lot of those are longtime buyers that they work with the processor that we sell fruit to, but um, they're specific and like to have a relationship with the grower as well. So they specify that they want product that comes from Bay's family or a certain farmer. That's um, kind of with the apricots, with the, the almonds. There's some of that that's domestic, and I want to say that's close to half and half uh, stays domestic and half gets exported. Um, and the walnuts are probably in a similar boat um, mix there. And, and those go to a lot of different processors. So Blue Diamond is probably the one people are most familiar with or has the most label presence. Um, but there's uh, every six different processors that we sell our nuts to. So, And then the the row crops, the tomatoes, those going anything from Heinz ketchup and uh, to the tomato paste at your pizza parlor, and some of that stays domestic, some of it gets exported. A lot of that just depends on the strength of the dollar. All right, Daniel. Well, we know you've got a lot of work to do to maintain all of those crops, but we'll want to have you back on again as the season progresses and see how things are shaping up out there in California. Thanks so much for taking the time to okay. talk to us. No problem. Thank you, guys. Again, that was Daniel Bays, and we got that recommendation from a friend of mine, Ryan Amaral. So I just want to give a shout out to Ryan for that great contact. And if any of our Ag News Daily listeners have people that they think we should be talking to, please let us know. You can reach us on our website, agnewsdaily.com, and we have a little 
comments box there. You can send us some people you think we should be talking to. That's right. We welcome all kinds of feedback, both on our website, as Delaney mentioned, agnewsdaily.com. We welcome it on our Twitter and Facebook feeds, both at agnewsdaily. And we encourage all of you to uh, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And if you do, please be sure to rate and review us. And as of tonight, Delaney, you can subscribe to our podcast on our website. If you're not that big into downloading stuff, we'll email it to you every single day. And uh, that way you've always got it. It just sits in your inbox when you got time to listen. Boop, click it on and away you go. That's right. Yep, there'll be a little subscription box in the right-hand corner of our website, agnewsdaily.com. So be sure to sign up on there because we will also, once Mike and I get going here, when we're at events or when we're out and about, we will be sure to email all our subscribers letting you know where we'll be in case you're at the events too. That's right. We'd love to talk to you, get you on there and uh, share a little bit of your story and share some news that you think is impacting the world of agriculture. All that being said, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. 